Amazing episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Billy Holiday. Hello there. And Jeremy Gregory. Hey guys. And we're all back so we can finally cover a patron requested game we were supposed to do a couple weeks ago. We're going to be looking at Crystallis for the Nintendo, which was uh, provided to us by one of our patrons, Joe. But before we get into that game and, and a little discussion I had with Joe, Billy, you missed the last couple shows. So you did miss our first Game Gear game on our bonus feed. But I know it's because you've been so busy playing video games. I know you're about to blow us away with things you've been playing. Yeah, well, I mean, I got that Oculus headset. I don't know if the two things coincide or not. You know, my absence and my uh, my delving in the world of virtual reality, um, especially with some of the sites I found um, late at night in the browser. Uh, and thankfully, it, it, it does have an incognito mode on it. I just, I, you know, I didn't have the time for anything else. I was occupied. Um, but no, I have been. I'm enjoying, you know, some some games on there. Some of the, I guess, staple VR games. I've got my old, uh, I guess, I think they're staple VR games for people that are extraordinarily late to the party. Like I'm playing fucking Surgeon Simulator. Um, uh, I think that job simulator. Any game with simulator at the end of it, I think I'm actually playing uh, through currently uh, and having a blast with it. Really, uh, it's a lot of fun. I did find. Um, maybe the selling point for anybody on the fence. Uh, I, I went online um, and found a way to put over the entire Virtual Boy library. And boy, howdy! I didn't. I sat there and I played Tellero Box, or I played a little tennis. I played that Wario game that that is excellent. It's too good for the Virtual Boy. Um, and I got to say, it looks like it, it runs better than it did back on the original hardware. Um, so, I, yeah, I, that's got to be the main selling point. That's what's going to I'm surprised they're not trying to come up with some way um, to legally do that, because that that'll send people running to the stores for sure. Uh, you know, I, I haven't jumped into VR, but that's that's something that'll do it. If I if you can tell me yeah. how to get a Virtual yeah. Boy set up yeah. on my house uh, without buying a Virtual yeah. Boy, I'm I'm all in. I'm shocked that Nintendo no. hasn't tried to to like put out a 3DS version of some of those games. I mean, even if they aren't that mm. good, what are they going to do mm. with that library? It, it's not going to work on anything else they have. Uh, I guess they could do it for the. I guess they have a. It was the wasn't the Nintendo Labo that had like a a fake VR set? You'd put your phone <laughs> in there, make it with that. I don't know. Um, I have been. You know, April, I didn't do a thing. As far as my backlog goes, I didn't finish anything because I played a whole lot of Monster Hunter and nothing else. Uh, I've mm-hmm. finished all the stuff in Monster Hunter. I finish uh, all the, the, like, they put a new mission out every week, 
like one new event yeah. quest along with the, the big updates. So I've done all those. That's great. So I had all this extra time to finally go back and play some things. I mentioned on the last episode that I had uh, I've been playing some things for Star Wars month. And so I went back and finished Jedi Fallen Order finally for the PlayStation yeah. 4. That's one that I, I don't know why I stopped. I, I like that kind of game. I'm a big Souls kind of guy, and I like Star mm-hmm. Wars. I, for some reason, I hit a wall on that where I just didn't click with me and I didn't care for it. Uh, But I went back and I really did like it this time. I had to relearn how to play it, but thankfully it's simple enough, especially if you play, you know, I was playing Sekiro and some other stuff. So comparatively, it's a much simpler game. So I was able to jump right back in and not lose too much time relearning the game. Uh, I also finished uh, Metroid Samus Returns on the 3DS. That's another one that I hit kind of a wall where I just didn't want to play it. It wasn't interesting. I don't know what what it was about it. I didn't care about it because I got back into it and then I could not put it down. I I finished that one off. But I finished a game called Dex. And uh, Mentheon, one of our patrons, had mentioned it to us uh, before. It is very much like the the Shadowrun games we covered before, but also uh, like a point-and-click adventure game in points. It's it's got a bunch of action sections. There's, There's that whole cyberpunk kind of aesthetic and background story to it mm-hmm. uh, you, you're you're trying to find it's not like shadow where you're not taking jobs instead it's it's like you find quests to to help people in the same way you would but there's like a hacking mechanic where you go to like a separate shooter mini game i, don't, I was a big fan i think i got it for two dollars on the switch on sale and it was oh, worth yeah. every um, single penny yeah i am <laughs> worth every single penny of two dollars um i think he means he doesn't mean that as an insult no, that was supposed to be a positive statement, but I realized after I said it, after I talked about getting such a massive discount on it, that that perhaps I should have said it was worth the full price and <laughs> not just the $2 yeah, I, I, paid. I snatched that one up also. Um, I highly recommend it, too. It is it is perpetually on sale, um, so definitely. Uh, yeah, it, it is worth a regular price purchase. But yeah, if you get on there on the eShop, chances are it's on sale, and it is it's one of the hidden gems nestled in that that switch switch store so jeremy what have you been playing i bought resident evil 8 and i I played a little bit of it i i i haven't got to play as much as i want to of it i've from what i played so far i really enjoy it i think i mentioned on the discord that i was uh, i really liked the idea of resident evil 7 but like it was Mm -hmm. so confined and uh, most like I'd say like 90% of that game took place in very confined hallways and areas. You know, it wasn't yes. open. Plus that very narrow field of view. It made me, it, it really got to my anxiety and not, not the good kind of anxiety when you're playing a horror game. Uh, it was like, I can't play this anymore for a while. It's just, it's too much. Um, I think Jeremy said that the same happened when he was playing um, Outlast and it just it's just a bit much but resident evil 8 it seems to be taking more cues from resident evil 4 so far uh it's much more open i'm sure there are areas where it's going to get you know more confined but so far like this is uh this is more my style of resident evil and not the constant terror of resident evil 7 i know some people are the exact opposite they really like that constant terror of resident mm. evil 7 uh that that was just not for me i could not play that and enjoy it for very long and, and just really couldn't, you know, I got far enough into it, but I just, it was like torture for me. I was just like, Oh God, I don't really want to play this game. You know, I know <laughs> what it's going to do to me. I'm going to have to like lay down for a while after I play it. So this time I'm actually having fun playing it. You know, there's just so much there that just reminds me of resident evil four and all the good times I had with that game. So if you really like resident evil four, if you like that more actiony kind of thing, then this one is definitely that. Uh, it is less of the confined 
sheer terror of Resident Evil 7. So <laughs> I'm going to keep playing that whenever I get the time. I, I've just been so busy with other things. I haven't got to play it as much as I want to. So maybe next episode is, I'll be able to, to dive a little bit deeper it, into that. Is, is the merchant is the merchant in there by any chance? The merchant is, he. well, I mean, there is a merchant. He is no, a big boy not... this time. Oh. It, it, he's quite, I mean, he literally comes out the back of a, a trailer looking thing uh, whenever you first <laughs> see him. Uh, he's he's a big guy, but he does have like a uh, it, when you're browsing stuff, he he has like the thing like you know little callbacks to the Resident Evil Four. Oh version. yeah, it's it's very obvious, you know, the game they are trying to ape here. So uh, if if you are a fan of Resident Evil Four, this this is mm-hmm. Resident Evil right here. Yeah, my brother's been playing it and has nothing but but great things to say about it. He did like seven, but he also said this was a lot more like four, uh, which was his favorite in the series. So he's been enjoying that. I will eventually play it. Uh, but since I still haven't played seven, and I'm I'm still working my way through <laughs> Codename Veronica, I'll eventually <laughs> eventually play eight. But a game mm. I did play, and I played it back when it was new, and I played it several times since, is the game we're going to talk about today. A patron request, Crystallis for the NES. <laughs> As I mentioned at the start of the show, this is a patron pick. This was requested by Joe. So we have him here, and he's going to just tell us about his thoughts on, on why he picked the game and why it's notable. So, Joe, welcome to the show. Ah, thanks a lot. So you picked Crystallis. Now, originally I had this on my list of like games I wanted to cover at some point. But we just kept pushing it off because it is kind of a longer game if you're trying to squeeze in four episodes a month. So we, we didn't rush on Crystallis, but then once you picked it, I was very excited. I could push it forward uh, without the guys attacking it like they do all my regular choices. So was Crystallis a game you had as a kid, or was this something you found later? Oh yeah, this is something I had back in the, right around the time of the release. I had picked it up initially because it was made by the same company that made another game I loved, Baseball Stars. Completely unrelated game, obviously, but yeah, I, I jumped from one to another, and it was I was blown away by it at the time. I mean, it pretty much defined what action RPG was years before that term even existed, at least to my knowledge. Yeah, well, there were a lot of games on the Nintendo. I mean, just to go to the most obvious, you could compare it to kind of a cross between Zelda and Zelda 2 in that it has the Zelda 1 kind of camera angle and gameplay style, but, you know, enhanced. But then it has the levels and, you know, extra equipment and such that Zelda 2 had uh, to a little different degree. But I think this was a lot more like you know, what you'd consider a game like almost Diablo or something in that style today, where it, it takes what's a really solid action game, but then it puts all these RPG trappings on it and a story that actually moves you around and makes a lot of sense, unlike a lot of other games that tried this sort of thing at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Diablo is, to me, the go-to uh, action RPG game of that of the era, one of the first ones, in fact. But this game ended up really bringing a lot of the same systems years before Diablo ever came to be. So we just played through this again now. It had been years since I played this. I, you know, I was kind of pushing it when it came out on. Uh, it's out on the SNK collection. That's out on Switch and I think PS4 and some other things. But then they put it out on the Nintendo Classic Library on the Switch if you pay for that service. And that was one that you know now I realize every month they're just throwing out garbage. But at the time I was like, whoa! Other people remember Crystallis. I'm very excited to play this one. Uh, it wasn't a game a lot of people had, but everyone that I ever loaned it to or would come over to play it, everyone immediately just got hooked on it. 
Yeah, I don't, I can't tell you a single person from back then that I knew who had any idea what I was talking about when I'd bring the game up. They'd talk about Final Fantasy, they'd talk about Dragon Warrior, games of that nature, but Crystallis, I just get blank looks on the playground when I'm talking about it. Well, and that's that's a shame. I'm glad it's out on a lot of things for people to find it now. And hopefully, in preparation for after hearing this podcast, more people will give it a shot, especially since you can play it on the Switch for essentially free. Uh, but yeah, it was one that I just, I don't know if it just didn't get a lot of press. I don't remember it really getting a lot of push in Nintendo Power. Doesn't mean it didn't happen, but I don't remember that issue if it was. But it just wasn't a thing that people really knew about or hunted down. But again, once you started playing it, you're like, wow, this game has a lot to it. The sound is really good. It has a lot of interesting combat systems. It's a little bit grindy. If, if I have a complaint, it's probably that. But uh, but otherwise, I mean, it's a very, very solid, you know, Zelda-like RPG. Yeah, it's a very different game right out of the gate. I remember starting it up, and you're looking at some futuristic room that your guy pops out of. I'm like, okay, wow, I'm not going to be some clown leaving a basic town to kill slimes. And, of course, I leave uh, that room, <laughs> and I immediately start killing slimes. So. And yeah, yeah. Tigerman, to be fair. But, yes. you know. Much cooler looking than slimes, but the same yeah, absolutely, idea. Absolutely. Yeah, you burst out of that cave, and you're immediately right in a regular backwards yeah. town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but exactly. it has, it has like, a, a, a story that actually drives you. I mean, if you read the manual and read even just the, the intro in the game itself when it comes through, there's, like, this post-apocalyptic sci-fi story or whatever. If you just turned this on, other than the fact that you're this, this guy that starts in that kind of futuristic room, it does feel very much like every, you know, an Ease game or something where you're kind of in, like, a, oh, a little town starting off. But, yeah, the, the game, as you're going through just throws that story back all around the place. And, and I, I mean, I, I'm so glad you recommended this one. I've been trying to find a good reason to cover it, and this is as, the best one I could have. Yeah, like I, I don't know if you remember this, but I initially was trying to decide between this game and just to be truthful, an absolutely miserable game just for the comedy factor, <laughs> to be honest. And I was coming up with some of those, but I was like, ah, I was surprised that you guys didn't cover this. That's why I ultimately chose it, because to me, like I said, it's a... Uh, it's a, it's an amazing game that really did not get enough press. Yeah, no, it, it didn't. And I do appreciate not picking a, a miserable game. There are sometimes where that's fun. I won't deny it. I do like kind of tearing apart a game if it deserves it. But sure. uh, but at the same time, there are some requests we get where I'm just not sure. Like, was this person trying to be mean, or is this a game they loved as a kid and they just don't get that it's not fun now? Like, I <laughs> I never know. There aren't too many of those. Uh, the one that comes to mind most most often is uh, uh, Gemfire. It's Gemfire, that strategy yeah. game. But again, I. I talked to that person. They uh, they kind of knew we might not care for it, so I didn't feel so bad. But I always feel bad trashing. But this is one that even if even if Jeremy and Billy don't care for it, you've got at least one of us giving you a huge thumbs up for bringing this one up. Oh, that's great to hear. So thank you again, Joe, for offering that up as a as a suggestion. I'm I'm looking forward to talking about it with Billy and Jeremy. Hopefully, they enjoyed it as much as both of us did. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I hope they do too. <laughs> So clearly, Joe and I, big fans of Crystallis. Uh, I had this one; it was brand new. I don't quite know why I picked it. I mean, the box is pretty, but it's not a you know, SNK was not a company I thought of uh, for anything other than like Akari Warriors. So, you know, I, I I jumped on this one. I saw it, and it became immediately for me an instant hit. It hit all my buttons for things I kind of like uh, in a, in an action RPG. But Billy and Jeremy, had either of you played this before? I had not. Um... And I don't know why. 
I, you know, I saw this in the videos. I have very vivid memories of of what was in my video store and walking around and browsing it. And I just remember this was kind of, you know, it was always there. Um, but I don't know. I something something about it must not have appealed to me. Um, because I remember seeing it in the video store. I remember in, uh, in a magazine or two. Uh, just never never got around to it for whatever reason. Um, it's it's not to say it was not something that interested me, you know, because I'm I'm a gigantic Zelda guy, um, and we'll we'll talk about why that might factor in, um, you know. And I was a a, a semi RPG fan at that time. I, I wasn't fully on board with them, and wouldn't be for for several years. Um, so I don't know if it was that aspect of it that put me off, but I know I first time playing it was was on the old switch. So so not too long ago. Yeah, I, I never played this one as a kid. I think I've mentioned before that back in the 8 bit days and before I just I wasn't into RPGs. I didn't understand them. But unless you were Legend of Zelda, then that whole idea of, of you know, Final Fantasy and and Crystallis and things like that. It's just, it didn't resonate with me. That didn't really pick up until Final Fantasy VI on the Super NES and, and a few others there here and there. But I remember, like Billy, I remember seeing this around. I mean, who can mm -hmm. forget that that cover art? I mean, it is, it's legit <laughs> some of the best cover art you can, you can find for an NES game. Uh, but I guess the one thing I didn't ever realize about it, you know, he hearing about it through the years, I never really played it up until this, was I didn't realize that this took place uh, in the far-flung future, you know, as as like a post-apocalyptic thing. Going by yeah. what was on the front of the cover, I thought this was just a straight-up fantasy-style thing, you know, mm -hmm. from back in, in the past or something. But yeah, I, starting this up, I was actually pretty shocked, you know, it's going the whole Fallout route. So that was that was fun to see, but yeah, I... There's, there's just something about 8-bit RPGs that, that never... I. I I don't know what it is. I just never really seek them out or play them. And anything that I do or want to go back to strictly started with the 16-bit days. Yeah, and I'm in a similar boat. Um, I, I I just don't... I don't look for those old 8-bit RPGs to go back to um, nowadays. Uh, so I was, um, like Jeremy, a little surprised uh, based on the cover art that to get that introduction. And it's a great... Great little intro to the game uh, to see that we were going that the post-apocalyptic uh, kind of sci-fi route with this one. And, and I think Jeremy and I both uh, during uh, Retrovaniacs Weekend Warriors, when we talked about Fantasy Star, um, I, I think. We yes, I was going to say. Yeah, I, I, it, serious vibes from from that where I, we both got on board at least you know, to, to start off with because of that sci-fi aspect. I think it had both of us excited. Um, were you, were you picking up the same thing with this one that that kind of, kind of pique your interest a little bit? Yeah. Like, you know, starting off, like I said, seeing that it was a post-apocalyptic RPG, I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, mm. you know, maybe I can get into this, but like <laughs> fantasy star, uh, <laughs> you know, if you want to see just what, what got to us for that, you know, and that we're not just making this up completely. The same, the same exact thing that happened this, in this game happened in Fantasy Star. It's just mm. an old RPG that things hadn't quite been, you know, the blueprint hadn't quite been set yet. Yeah. 
and things were a bit rough. This one is is nowhere near as rough as what Fantasy Star was anyway. But um, it was still that just that old style RPG that that got us both. I didn't even I made it past the first episode. You bravely soldiered on and, and made it all the way through. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's just. Well, yeah, well, I part... did, you know, I, I, it did take a year almost. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't quite as long as a fantasy star. That did take us a long time. Mm-hmm. That was like a mm-hmm. 20 plus hour game. This should not take you that long. Um, I no. was a big fan of 8-bit RPGs, but I had also been playing, you know, the, the computer PC RPGs. I and had some on my Amiga as well. So I was fine with a slower RPG with a lot of grinding. I'm okay with that. Uh, when Dragon Warrior came out here in the U.S. instead of Dragon Quest, uh, you know, I, I loved that, even though it was extremely simple compared to what I was, was used to for, for multi-member party PC games. I still really liked the way they did that on a console, to have that, you know, the smaller... Uh, top-down view on everything, and I really liked, uh, you know, Final Fantasy. That was a little more involved, but it was the same kind of thing. But I, after a while, I kind of was tired of games where you'd have combat and you wouldn't actually, you know, control the combat other than hitting, like, fight, and you do uh, another move at the time. I, I love that now, but for a while, I got tired of that. So I would mm. look, I, I was I was always looking for games that kind of mix that and something like Legend of Zelda, and this is pretty much the perfect blend of a Legend of Zelda style gameplay and and the way the maps laid out and everything else but it has all those rpg things i really liked it has you have to get experience by killing monsters and that gets you uh you're to level up which gets you more health and such you have to get money so you can buy better equipment there's towns and people to talk to there's side quests and missions and stuff it's all the stuff i like in an rpg but it also has the the zelda kind of feel to it so for me it hit all my buttons but it definitely even playing through it this time uh I'm sure I know what complaints we're gonna get. I'm gonna get from you guys, and that's okay. But, uh, <laughs> but I still really like at the time, and this came out in 1990. This was like, this was a game I knew nothing about. I bought it on on just box art alone, and I was immediately like in love with it and blown away. And shared it with all my friends who were into the same kind of games. And we spent, I mean, weeks playing through this game, taking turns, you know, trading back and forth. It was a lot of fun. Um, but anyway, uh, so I'm not gonna be very uh. Very biased on this, but that's great. Hopefully you guys can can give some insight into what you think about it in 2021, where I'm going to just keep talking about what I thought in 1990 when I was 13. Uh, this game, like I said, came out in 1990 for the NES. It only came out in Japan and North America. It was developed and published by SNK, which, as I mentioned before, I really thought of them as the Akari Warriors people or, like, Iron Tank. They, they really did action games. I didn't know a lot of RPGs they had done, and I'm sure they had some, but nothing that, in my mind, was, like, an SNK thing. When this came out, it's 1990, so you figure that's right when the Genesis is already hit and Turbo Graphics is in. So this is a late NES title. It's not too late. The Super Nintendo isn't out yet, but it's easy to see how this got overshadowed by newer systems, new technologies. And again, it's it's not a game that I think had a whole lot of push when it came out originally because it wasn't Nintendo itself. You know, it wasn't a Nintendo internal property. And again, it was SNK, not a game, not a company that I I held extremely highly at the time. Uh, It was pre-Neo Geo. And so I I really hadn't, it wasn't something I would have thought of as as a need. But from the moment you come in, you get that cool story. And like like both Billy and Jerry mentioned, it kind of starts with this post-apocalyptic story about how the world ends in 1997. More or less, there's like a nuclear war, and people have to rebuild. It turns all the the animals in the area into mutants, and I guess people that were left as well. Uh, But people that are are still there afterwards decide to rebuild the world. So it's 100 years years later, a lot of villages and towns and such are back. It's kind of got some, some very safe areas, and then again, this wild of uh, covered with mutants and enemies that you have to deal with. And 
if you read the manual, you get a different story than what the game gives you at the beginning. It's basically the same, but a lot of the details of why you might be doing this quest and what you're supposed to be doing are much more clear in the manual than they are in the game itself. So in the yeah. manual, it explains okay. that there's an evil magician named Dragon who has decided he's going to, uh, you know, do research into the powers and the technologies that caused the, you know, the, this disaster that are now, you know, forbidden and blend it with magic to try to then use the magic and technology together to, to avoid the problems that happened 100 years ago, but take over the world now. Uh, using both things. And he's done this by building this magical tower that floats in the sky that's supposed to have kind of a doomsday device. So if if his mission fails, then he can just wipe everything out and hopefully start again with him safe in his tower uh, and his and his forces or whatever. So you are some sort of thing brought back to life. Uh, you, you see like this computer screen kind of summary of like coming back online, whatever, and it gives you all this, these little goofy details of like, your operating system and such, you get to give your character's name, and then you wake up out of this, like, stasis machine and bust out of a mountain, and you're like, okay, cool, now I'm going to be, you know, I, I'm a I'm hundred years in the future from where I was before. This is going to be this post-apocalyptic, like, sci-fi game. And then you walk to the one screen to the left, and you're in the most boring fantasy village you've ever seen. It's the town of Leaf. It's got, like, an inn and a town, like, uh, a town elder house and a shop. And it's everything you see in a standard RPG that would be fantasy-based. But it's supposed to be, you know, 100 years in the future from now. Uh, that is kind of a letdown, I have to say. I didn't mind it at the time. And I didn't mind it now. But if you really wanted this, like, super post-apocalyptic Fallout-style mm -hmm. sci-fi game, this is not really going to give that to you. It shows up in little pieces, but the game as a whole doesn't really deliver. Yeah, I... <laughs> This was when my worries began to set in. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I definitely, and this is an overarching theme for me throughout, was was hoping for maybe a little bit more. I mean, I know we're on the NES. I know we're dealing with with some limitations there. But yeah, uh, the, the intro got me ready for something that I, I, I don't feel like I quite got throughout. Um, like, I, I feel like there was a world advertised. I don't know if I just, you know, kind of had an idea in my head of what I might see as I played along. But we didn't really get that. Like, <laughs> we had, we were given something early on, and then it was just kind of standard um, RPG stuff, which... And then from that point on, I think I, I lowered my expectations a little bit. I knew what I was getting into. I was going to be going to some towns, some nondescript towns. I was going to talk to these same standard people from every RPG game. Um, I was going to be looking at some menus and whatnot. So yeah, this this, this first little town area kind of kind of took the wind out of my sails just a little bit. Um, I wasn't quite ready, of course. To, I didn't throw in the towel or anything at this point. Um, but yeah, I, um, I think this was the first time, um, playing that is like, uh, eh, maybe I'm not quite going to get what I, I built up to myself during that intro. Yeah. Th that intro builds something up to like this, th for what it's going to be. And you're just like, oh my God, you know, this is going to be the post-apocalyptic eight bit RPG that, yeah. that may actually hold my attention <laughs> and, you know, but then, yeah, it just goes into that very basic looking, uh, fantasy style thing. In fact, you know that I mentioned the box art and how I always thought it was a fantasy style RPG and all the, the pictures and screenshots and stuff and, and videos I had seen throughout the years 
never changed my mind on that. It yeah. was always just like, well, this is just your standard fantasy setting. And not until I started the game up and, and saw that story, I was like, oh, my God, this is actually a post-apocalyptic story. Mm -hmm. That's really awesome. But at the same time, it's got all the trappings of a fantasy uh, mm -hmm. style game. You know, there's nothing there that that's really it shows any of that post-apocalyptic stuff. I mean, you're not going through like rundown cities or cool, like, uh, I don't know, fallout style worlds or anything. It's all just your basic stuff. And even like the, the dungeons are just a lot of different colored castles. You know, it just all looks like a fantasy style game. So unless you read that story and know what you're actually getting into and then follow the story throughout, if you're just seeing it, you're, I wouldn't blame you for just mistaking this as your standard fantasy game. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, even throughout the game, up until the very end of the game, you don't really see much that is uh, a techno technological, like something that would show you that, oh, yeah, this is way in the future. This is like a technology mm -hmm. we haven't seen yet, and the rest of the game is very much primitive. Uh, when you first, you know, you get your mission in the town, which is like, go find the guy that's at the windmill. He's He falls asleep all the time. Talk to him, and you can talk to the, the village elder who's missing. Uh, so you, you go out, and you leave the town, and you're you're kind of presented with this overworld that's very, very highly reminiscent of, of a Legend of Zelda-style view and gameplay. You walk around, you have a, a sword button, and you have a your, your B button's your sword button that swings your sword. Now, you'll see you have a little meter at the bottom of the screen. I'll get to that in a second. The A button would use any item you have selected, or later on when you gain spells and such, it will use your spells. Uh, so it, it's just like Zelda in that aspect. You have a you know, D-pad moves you around. You get your menu screens with start and select. And then B is your sword. A is your other weapon. Um, or A is your other item. The difference is in this game, I guess the, the gimmick for the attack is when you hold down the attack button, you'll see the power meter at the bottom build up. And it builds up pretty quickly. And then it'll be on a number one at the start of the game. When it, when it builds up to this meter and you know one is flashing instead, when you let go of the attack button, it shoots a projectile forward. So if you can swing it real fast, it'll it'll hit people and do a little bit of damage. Or if you hold it down, it shoots a projectile forward. A lot of the time, that'll push enemies back a little bit, too. And so a lot of the game is is holding down that button and getting your sword to charge up while you run around and dodge enemy attacks and then, you know, go forward and hit them with the projectile because it's the safest way to do damage. And it does more damage most of the time than a straight sword swing. That's kind of the, the, uh, the combat gimmick at the start of the game. It continues the whole way through the game, but that's the way it wants you to play. It doesn't want you to run in and, you know, spam on the attack button. You're supposed to very carefully charge up your shots and, you know, use them to, to fight the enemies as opposed to running forward, swinging your sword like, like Zelda. It's not a projectile like in Zelda, you get that where your sword shoots forward once you get uh, so many hearts filled. This can work at any moment, and it it's not a bonus. It's it's how you're supposed to play the game. Um, as, as you're wandering around, you'll see you know some enemies are on the screen, and they don't. It's not like an RPG where you go to another fighting screen. Anything you see on the screen, you fight on that screen. Uh, when you have defeated an enemy, it gives you two things that matter in an RPG. And in this game, you get experience, which will help you level your character up, and you get money. Both of them are very important, and both of them, unfortunately, uh, you're going to find out real quick. In fact, this first outside area, you're going to spend a little bit of time grinding. And by a little bit of yeah. time, I mean a lot of time. You're going to spend a good amount of time in this game grinding uh, to make sure you have... It, basically, anytime you go to a town and you can buy a better armor, a better shield, a better sword, or any magic items you don't already have, uh, you want to stay right outside of that town. Uh, the enemies will spawn over and over again as long as you leave the screen and walk around. Things keep showing up. And you just got to 
kill as many as you can as often as you can go back and heal the in the in the inn there for whatever little bit of gold it takes to earn enough money to buy all those best items if you do that most likely leveling won't be a problem but there's still times where you're going to have to grind for level as well because some some enemies specifically towards the end of the game are invulnerable to attacks until you've hit a certain level uh, it's, but it's also very clearly when when you've leveled, you can see the difference in how much damage you're doing. You use the exact same weapon, and you'll you'll hit like this one tiger guy three times. Level up once, hit him once, and he's dead. So the the leveling is is drastic in the amount of damage you you will do at that point. Like once you've hit a certain point, uh, leveling you almost over level. But the game has a cap on levels. So unlike another, you know, a lot of RPGs where you can over level it and make this game very simple for yourself, uh, Crystallis only has 16 levels for your character. But it's imperative that you get all 16 levels. You cannot finish this game without getting all 16 levels. Yeah, that, that's for sure. I, man, I wasn't ready to start grinding this early. I, I think that this is this is definitely one of the earliest grinds I've had in a game. Oh uh, Yeah, like right outside, leaving that first town, you, you already know what you're going to have to do. Um, you you got to raise some funds. And those enemies are not dropping much at a time. They're they're amongst some of the stingiest damn enemies I've encountered in a game. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that the blueprint hadn't been really set for what RPGs would become in, you know, or JRPGs anyway, and, and would become in the 16-bit era. This was the blueprint so far. Grinding. They knew how to do this. <laughs> like, like it, this was basically what you did in, in any of these games back then. You you were expected to grind for levels and then buy better gear. That was it. That was basically what was set. Everything else was kind of Wild West. But I'm kind of with Billy. I did not expect that I would have to be doing this. I I guess you don't really have to do the grinding this early. Uh, you know, there, there's not really anything that super hard. But from what I was getting, it was like grind early and often, uh, which will help you out way earlier in the game than it will doing that later in the game. Uh, is that, is that correct at all? It, I mean, it is to some level, but it's not like it, you're getting a huge jump. I, I think you can get through the first area without doing a lot of grinding, although you're setting yourself up for, for a very tough first boss fight if you do that. Um, but, but pretty soon after that, you're going to see, you're going to get to areas where you're not doing any damage to enemies at all. I mean, it, literally it makes like a tink sound when you hit them and no, that doesn't look like they're taking any damage. You, and you can tell you're never going to kill them. Uh, you need to make sure you're leveling so that when you get to any new area, you won't see that problem. Now, there's a couple different reasons you may not be doing damage to an enemy. Level is one. Uh, also, uh, using the wrong weapon. So, we mentioned you have a sword. Technically, it's a sword of wind that you start with. And again, that's the level one attack you have where you, you shoot the projectile forward. You'll also find as you're playing uh, other swords of other elements. So, there's a sword of fire, the sword of water, and the sword of thunder. And they don't just, you know... You're not going to get a new sword and then switch to that new sword always. And, you know, you don't get the sword of it fire and all of a sudden you never use wind again. That's not how this game is set up. You have to switch the weapons back and forth to fight different enemies. You'll see that you'll fight a monster and all of a sudden you'll hear that tink sound and you know you're not doing any damage. There's a chance that you're just using the wrong sword. It's a it's a it's an enemy that's impervious to wind, so you have to use fire. Or it's an enemy that's impervious to fire, so you have to use water. Uh, they also mm. are... are are, they also have a different mechanic for how they do that power-up shot. So, for example, the wind shot, you charge up, and the projectile is like a little bead, basically, that goes forward. Like It goes across the screen. It's like a little green dot, but it does a good amount of damage. Uh, when you get fire and you charge up the first time, it shoots like a, a beam of fire forward. So it's a longer blast 
uh, that you you want to have out there. It's a little bit wider, and and it's it's a better weapon to use on some enemies. Now, other enemies doesn't do any damage to. So you're going to spend a lot of the time in this game not just making sure you've leveled up high enough, but then when you get to an area, if you're not doing damage, you have to, to switch your weapons around to make sure, am I also using the right weapon? And in some cases, and especially towards the, the later parts of the game, maybe more in the middle of the game, you're going to be in a dungeon fighting a bunch of like what I'd call trash mobs in a dungeon, you know, not the bosses, but you're constantly switching your swords out. You'll have a room with three different types of enemies that need three different types of swords, and if you're using the wrong one, you're not doing any damage. So there's a lot of sword switching. Mm, I don't mind that, but it's unfortunate that this is on a Nintendo, so you can't have like a button that switches weapons immediately, because yeah. otherwise you have to go through the menu system, which, while not terrible is also a pretty clunky menu system to change what sword you're using, what weapon you what uh, what sword you're using, what armors you have, shields, items you're using. All of it is a little bit clunky and does a little more than the NES is capable of doing easily. Yeah, and this was my this was like I said right at the beginning, this is one of the things I, I knew I was getting into the, the poor NES just just not blessed with enough buttons on that controller. So I knew um you know, things that nowadays or even in the 16-bit era, you, you might resolve with just the just the hit of a button was going to require uh, it was going to require a menu trip. And with this mechanic in place where you're 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 switching weapons and trying different weapons out, uh, you're you're gonna clock in. You're gonna clock in a minute or two on that old menu. At least we're not having to, to hit a button on the console. You know, with, that's true. Uh, yes, you know, that's with true. Alex Kidd and stuff like that. Uh, yes. But yeah, that was one of those things. I, I really appreciate, you know, having these, the multiple weapons and, and having to switch mm -hmm. back and forth. Uh, it's just one of those things, you know, it's you're playing on the NES. What are you going to do? You got to go on the menu, oh, yeah. you got to select it. I just wish it wasn't quite as often. And so, like you said, some of those rooms have multiple enemies that you need to go back and forth to. You know, maybe just once or twice would be fine. Uh, but then there's times where you're switching back multiple times, and it's it, like you said, it's a whole lot of menu uh, in that game once you start getting those swords. Well, the swords also kind of upgrade as you go through the game. So not only do you have to switch the sword, but each sword, as I mentioned, when you charge up, it goes to level one. Then if you keep charging, it'll charge to level two, and eventually level three once you get these upgrades. And the swords all act way different at those higher levels. Uh, most of the time, it makes their attack larger. Uh, it covers a bigger area, or it can hit multiple enemies. But the other thing it does is at level two, all those swords will then become the the, the Metroidvania-style unlocks to, to get through areas. So, for example, the Sword of Wind at level two will break rock walls. So there's sections you can see clearly, like, yeah, I can see this wall needs to be broken open. How do I get through it? Well, you need your, your Sword of Wind at level two, and then you charge level two, and you'll blast through that wall. The Sword of Fire will also break and melt ice walls in the same way. Uh, water will, will freeze bridges over rivers. There's parts where you can see the river looks like it's kind of sparkly uh, on the NES. I guess it just looks like dots, but um, it, you can use your, uh, your your Sword of Water at level 2 to make bridges over those areas, and the Sword of Thunder at level 2 will destroy... Uh, it says iron walls in the manual, but they actually look like giant metal faces uh, that a lot of the time you need to blast through, and that's what the, uh, the Sword of Thunder does at level 2. At level 3, all of them also do a much larger attack, either an area effect attack or... Well, they're all area effects, either like a a series of tornadoes in the case of the air sword, uh, the sword of fire. It does this giant explosion all over the screen that seems to hit things a bunch of multiple times. But they also take your magic power. Uh, at the bottom right of the screen, you'll see a magic, an MP count. 
that that will go down as you use these third level sword powers. But also, you will eventually learn how to be able to cast magic spells. Pretty early on in the game, you'll get the ability to get magic spells, and that will also be something that uses magic power. Uh, everything except for using your sword and charging your sword is done with, like I mentioned, the A button. So if you're trying to cast a spell, you go to your inventory screen, you select which spell you want to do, and then the A button will cast that spell. If you don't have a spell highlighted that you're going to try to use in your inventory screen, then if you pick an item, like a, a, an herb that would refill your health or refill your magic power or such, or uh, there's, there are special items that are multiple use, it's not just a one use only like an herb, but things like magic boots that let you jump, well, then you have to have magic boots highlighted, no other item highlighted, no other spell highlighted, and then A will help you use your magic boots that make you jump. Uh, <laughs> again, it's another, it's a, it's a, I don't say a problem, it was impressive on the NES that this many things were going on, but this specific problem that you have to constantly you know, go in the inventory screen and make sure you don't have spells highlighted or you can't have an active one if you want to use boots or whatever, uh, that's something that any other controller would have would have fixed. If you have four buttons like any current controller, you know, you make one attack, one your spells, one your item, and, and one your, you know, your accessory button or whatever it is to make it easy, and then you switch which sword with L and R, right? So that the problems I have with the interface with this game are mainly just that it's so... It's very impressive what it's trying to do on the NES, but it, it's also a big holdback on doing it. You really spend, like Billy said, you're going to clock in a lot of time on an inventory screen, uh, especially if you pick the wrong item or the wrong sword. I, I will give it props for the amount of stuff that it's actually trying to do. Yes. Like, yes, all that it's doing, we wouldn't actually see this this much being done in uh, future RPGs on you know the Super NES and Genesis. So for the amount of that, uh, all the stuff that it's trying to accomplish in this game, I will 100% give it credit for. Uh, mm -hmm. The worst thing I can say about it is that it's stuck on the NES. And that's, you know, some <laughs> people, like, obviously that's a lot of nostalgia for some people that played it on the NES. For me playing it for the first time this time, it's just like, man, I really wish they had just made a sequel for this on, the, you know, the Super NES or Genesis. Give me some more buttons. Give me some better environments. Give me something. Uh, but that... Yeah, I, I will give it endless props for the amount that it's, it is trying to do here. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a, a trailblazer here. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like it is, in fact, it is much more advanced than a lot of the stuff we did get um, in the next generation. They, it's very ambitious, this game. Um, and, and they pull it off the best they can <laughs> with what they're given. But I mean, that's the thing, you know, anytime you're on the NES, um, I mean, you, you know what you're going to get. I think we've said that a few times now. When, when you see the an RPG on the NES, you know, there are there's a very limited window they have to work with. And more than any other 8-bit RPG, I feel like they took what they had and they stretched it absolutely as far as they could with this one. So a, a big hats off to them for that. What we've been talking about now has been a lot of stuff just like, well, you know, if, if we just had more control or, you know, more buttons, better mm -hmm. console, whatever. The one thing that I that really got me with this game uh, was just a lot of the, the progression, not even so much the uh, the grinding, if you will, but like mm -hmm. just how they do the progression. Now, I may have done this wrong and I may just be wrong. I'm trying to. It's been a few weeks since I played this, and I'm trying to remember early part of the game, like the earliest part of the game. As you mentioned, in the very start of the game, you were trying to start the windmill. Yes. And so the way you, you need to do that is to basically, what is it, buy an item, 
and then talk to a guy, and then that will open up another passage or something <laughs> like that. But if you don't buy that item, the guy that you're supposed to talk to isn't actually there. And so he only appears if you buy the item. And there's, there's a couple of things like that throughout the game where it's just like, this won't actually trigger until you do this one thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, always, it's not very clear as to what you're, you need to do that. You know, it kind of gives you hints. But if that's not, you know, if you don't know to do that, then the objective isn't actually there for you to maybe give you a hint. Uh, am I am I just being completely crazy here? Did I just do that wrong? No, I mean it, you did it wrong because it didn't move forward. But it does not. This game is not good at telling you exactly what to do. Um, it's not as vague. It's it's not intentionally vague. I think. Uh, I think it's just not translated very well. There's a lot of time where you'll be given several choices. Like even that first area we're talking about, you can go north to the mm. windmill, and you know once you buy the flute, you'll be able to wake up the guy at the windmill. Once you have the flute, he'll be there. If you got the flute and talk to somebody. Otherwise, on the left side of the map, there's another cave you can see. And you can go through that cave, and at first it'll be very hard to fight the things uh, that are out in that area. But once you, if you grind a little bit, you can go in there. Uh, eventually, you'll come to a dead end where someone's kind of like, hey, go talk to the guy at the windmill. So, yes, that helps you in that, in this case, there's only two directions. But there's other parts of the game later on where they'll give you, I mean, wholly other areas you're not supposed to be in yet. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty large map overall. It's not massive, but for the time, it's pretty big. And there are parts of the game where you clearly are in the wrong spot and you're not sure if it's because you don't have the right weapon or you're not high enough level or whatever it is. But most of the time you can tell if you're in the wrong spot because you die in one or two hits. Uh, But still, Mm. there's loads of parts where it it really doesn't lay out exactly what you need to do to trigger the events that move you forward. It's not too, too bad. Uh, I mean, again, I did figure it out when I was younger and this wasn't something that had like a a big strategy guide I would have used. Uh, but but for playing through this time, there were several times where I was like, I know what I'm supposed to do next. I've beaten this before several times. What is it that I'm missing? And uh, and in in the and case of was, yeah, well, in, in the case early on, I didn't have that problem. But there's a, another part uh, in, in a water town where you have to kind of talk to uh, a fortune teller and a queen, and you have to kind of talk to these people back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and then go out to this dungeon and see some stuff, and then go back to town and do this back and forth with two people until eventually you kind of find a way to game the 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 game wants you to use a spell that you've earned that lets you paralyze people to paralyze a guard and then sneak into the queen's chamber to find out that the queen's not there anymore and and from that point you can move the story forward again but it was like I could not figure out what I was doing wrong there because I had just sat there I'd gotten you know I've, I've done the back and forth people and eventually that didn't work I tried to get to to the cave where I was supposed like which is behind a waterfall where you're supposed to to free these paralyzed people and I didn't have the stuff to do that like I was getting very frustrated because I was like I knew exactly what I'm supposed to do I know this is the next part of the game and I could not find the trigger and it ended up being that I didn't use a spell that I'd totally forgotten about to kind of it, it almost looks like it's not supposed to work it's the kind of thing when you do it you're like there's no chance this is what I'm supposed to do and then mm. it's exactly what you're supposed to do and i just wasn't prepared for that i didn't know that's how the game did things that or that's why i kind of mentioned that early one because i was just kind of wandering around and i didn't quite know i'm sure i just missed a conversation or something that would have told me to go buy the flute but then i had to look it up and it was like go talk to the guy uh at the windmill or, or the thing and i was like he's not there like this person isn't there and i just didn't realize i, I had to buy the flute to make that person appear because, yeah, like I said, otherwise I just, you know, he's not there. So I guess that would be my, my real only complaint with the game as far as, like, from a gameplay perspective. 
it's there's some pretty vague things here and if you don't know what you're getting into if that's how the game is you know that's how that's how the rules are basically with this game uh you can be confused pretty early on and I just learned to look at a strategy guide as I was going forward if there was something that I was just completely missing. Well, it is 100% a game that they expect you have and a reading and a referencing the manual. Uh, all the magic items, all the even all the shields and armors you buy, what makes them special is not in any way defined in the game. So, for example, there's eight shields you can get, and... When you get to a shop, it just says, hey, you want to buy this shield, and here's how much it is. But you don't know why you'd need it. You assume the, de the defense is higher, and you can see that once you once you uh, put it on. Yes, the, my defense numbers are higher or whatever. But, for example, you can get a mirrored shield uh, early on. You're like, well, what's this do? And it stops you from being petrified. If there's monsters that petrify you when they attack you, you no longer can be petrified if you have the mirrored shield uh as your active shield and same thing with uh the sacred shield and again it doesn't say why it's sacred you just assume with that name it's good but it stops you from being paralyzed so all these items in the game and especially some of the later magic items uh, don't define what they do unless you're looking at the manual referencing it and seeing oh, okay that's why i'd want to do this uh, also this game assumes you're the kind of person who likes to clear out every dungeon 100 percent if you're not oh. going to do that, if you're not going to explore every corner of the map, and when you're in a dungeon, make sure there's not a pathway you didn't go to, if you got lucky and found, like, because they're all kind of mazes, but not not in a terrible way. But still, you could find your way to a boss and miss a whole wing of a, of a dungeon, and there could be an item there that you may not need right now, but you're going to need it. You're going to want it. Uh, and that's kind of the very end of the game is... Um, I don't want to give away a lot of the story, not because it's amazing, but it is pretty good. Uh, but, but you know, if you like this kind of game, if you like a Legend of Zelda-style game with some RPG elements, th the story is interesting. It's about meeting these wise men and defeating the generals of this Dragon. Uh, they call him Emperor Dragon, but I guess he's a, a mad wizard according to the, the instructions. And, and eventually making your way to this floating tower in the sky that's referenced at the very beginning of the game to try to stop him from destroying the world uh, and stop him from trying to take over the world. So... As you're going through this series of towns, there's eight or nine towns, and they all have their attached dungeons that are all very similar. They're either caves or they are, uh, like Jeremy mentioned, kind of these, these castle fortresses and things in different colors. Um, but you get to the very end, and the very end is, is this big pyramid area that's in a desert, and then that will take you eventually to this, this flying tower. And you'll get to, to some fights that are just flat-out impossible to win. You cannot win them. You'll be at the max level. You'll have all the swords, mm -hmm. you, and all the swords are at third power or whatever, but nothing you're doing to this boss is going to hurt him. Uh, Dragon himself is impossible to beat unless you have one specific item, not only in your inventory, but actively being used. It's the power ring, and you can completely miss it. There's a whole area on the, the exit of one of the dungeons you get through. Like, you beat the boss, you're on your way out, and there's like a little pass to the side. And there's also a pass to the south. So if you just check the right and you're like, oh, there's a whole other big dungeon. Let me go back and see what south is. South takes you outside where you can find a new town, a new area. You're like, okay, great. This must be the right way. That other side dungeon, which is very large and a little confusing, is where you find a handful of items you absolutely need to finish this game. So if you're not the kind of person that's going to explore every single thing in a dungeon, you're going to be stuck. You're not going to know what to do. And... And that's where I ran into this time. I, again, I've beaten this before several times. I, I hadn't played it extremely recently, but I got to the end of the game, and I'm like, why can I not beat this boss? What have I done wrong? And I realized, because I was trying to finish it quickly for the, the episode, I, I didn't do what I normally do, which is explore every single corner of every dungeon. And if I did that, I would have found the, the, the ring and such, but it still doesn't explain anywhere that you absolutely need to use the power ring 
to actually affect the last boss. It's just trial and error, which is always frustrating. This is one of those games that needs like that big 10 page spread in Nintendo Power. <laughs> finish this game uh yeah um it i mean it took me a good bit of time fortunately i did not um get stuck oh because that would have been the end i i don't i don't react well to that kind of thing um but no i i was able to finish this and was thoroughly underwhelmed with the ending i re- the ending i received um you know i thought we were going to book in the thing with like maybe a nice ending to go along with the intro. Nah, not this time. I, I don't think they had enough memory left in that NES cart. After, <laughs> you know, they, they spent, you know, 60 to 70% of the game recycling the same areas, which is different colors. Uh, I, I made it to orange castle. Okay. That is as far as I got, <laughs> which I think I, it's pretty far into yeah, you the did game. Get pretty far. Uh, I think that's three fourths mm-hmm. in, in the way. So um, that that is as far as I made it. I just I just never I never got to the pyramid. I guess. Yeah, it's it's. I really loved this game at the time, but now there were definitely parts where I I got a little I don't want to say bored, but I, it gets a little long where you're like, this doesn't need to be here. I don't need to go back to this dungeon again. And especially when I realized I didn't clear them out the first time through and having to go back through those dungeons, it was painful uh, to to try to go back through everything. Um, now you do get a lot of spells, like I mentioned, and one of them will let you teleport yourself between all the towns you've been to. So going back and forth is is fairly straightforward and easy, especially because you can refill your magic by going to the inns in those towns. Mm. But there, it, it's definitely a game that it, it it tries to do a lot on the NES. It really tries to push what the, you can get away with with two buttons and a menu. The story is interesting. The music's good. I thought the music to the game was pretty good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but I can see why, uh, if you had not played this before, it might be kind of a... A, a slog to start and then once you get towards the end you're kind of like well what was the point of all this leveling if uh, basically it's a max level and I have a couple hours left to go so at this point it's just kind of like another gate to stop me from progressing quickly as opposed to making it mm-hmm. like a like a metroidvania uh, or, or zelda style game where if you don't get you know from this dungeon if you don't have the you know the sword of 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 fire then you can't go to the next section that is in here too but it also has the extra gates of you know, making sure you're the right level with experience and making sure you have money to buy all the stuff, which without the manual, you wouldn't even know why you have to buy half of these things. Uh, it's, it's a little frustrating, but at the time, I mean, having to, to require a manual to get through a game, even in 1990, still wasn't out of the realm of possibility. Like now that seems insane, uh, especially since most games now don't come with manuals. But but back then it was assumed you're playing a game, you have a, a good 35 page manual or whatever, you're going to be looking at it. You're going to read it. Yeah. And uh, games like... Um, you know, we haven't covered the Ultima series, but Ultima Exodus or, or the Ultima Quest of the Avatar, those ones were another ones where they came with another set. That was another set of games that came with giant manuals and maps, and you could not finish it without those. Not feasible. So this at least didn't have spells with weird-ass names you had to type in. Uh, thankfully, everything was all those things were defined for you in the game. Just what items did necessarily was not. I, I can't complain about this game at all. I mean, I have been complaining about it most of this episode, but I... I genuinely think it's a cool game i yeah just from my taste for like 8-bit rpgs whatever throw it out the window 
this is a this is a really cool little game for for its time. And I imagine play if you were a fan of RPGs at the time and played this, it was a it was awesome. You know, there weren't for as successful as Zelda was on the NES, there were surprisingly few games like Zelda on the NES, which kind of blows my mind. I think there mm-hmm. were more games like Zelda 2 than there were Zelda. But like this really takes that Zelda formula and tries to do a lot more with it. And I think it deserves a, a lot of credit for what it tried to do. I, I just don't think there was enough left in the NES's engine to pull it off well. And, you know, maybe if they had a more powerful console, they could have made, you know, more environments and not just recolored everything five or six times. Mm. But for what it is, it's a damn cool little game. Yeah. And, and same, um, you know, ignore me if you want to uh, because this also really isn't my thing either um and i know i've had a lot of complaints about it but same thing i i echo the same sentiments that it's um a pretty impressive feat what they were were trying to pull off here um and they do succeed at some things and other things i mean it's just due to the to the limitations yeah a lot of a lot of environments are just you know a little color swap here and there um it, it never quite visually as, is as spectacular as that opening little bit will make you make you think it is uh, you don't quite get that same theme that you think you're going to get um but it's it's fine it's it's not something i would have played on my own um it, it's not something i i feel like i have the need to go back and play um but if i mean if you're a big art if you're a big art 8-bit RPG fan. Chances are you've already played this one. Um, but if you if you want to go back and see, um, you know, kind of one of the founding fathers of the 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 RPG as we know it now, uh, I, this this is worth your time. And it's it's you know about a maybe maybe about a five five six hour run through this thing. Um, so it's not a big uh, time commitment. It's on the Switch now, so you can you know play it, pick it up set it down, continue on, uh, you know, rewind back when you, you forget a key item and cannot finish the game. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's worth, it's, it's significant, I guess I should say. It's not a game for me, but it does have significance to it that I can't deny. Well, and like you mentioned, it is on the Switch NES uh, virtual library, whatever they call it, on the Switch. Mm-hmm. But also, if you have the SNK 40th Anniversary Collection, which I think is on everything, mm. uh, they do mm-hmm. have uh, this game as well, even though it was never in the arcade. Uh, they do have the NES version of this. Uh, also, if you have your Game Boy Color, uh, there's a remake that came out in 2000 for the Game Boy Color. Now, I thought it was just one of those situations where they took the NES game and put it out on Game Boy, because it has the same cover art. I don't know mm-hmm. anyone who had played it. Uh, but looking into it, they actually changed a lot. They they changed the ending up. They mixed the boss order. Uh, they they've they've added extra story pieces. They they've made it. They've made the game play a little more like what the story in the manual itself sounds like, as opposed to what the game story actually feels more like. I mean, it's hard to explain. Mm-hmm. I, the the story in in the NES version of Crystallis, and again, maybe it's just the translation, but doesn't necessarily match the intro you get to see or what's in the manual. Like, the core facts are there. There's a bad guy named Dragon, and you're supposed to fight his generals, and you're supposed to save the day and and find these swords. But other than that, like, there's a lot of, of vagueness as to, you know, exactly why you're the one who has to do it and who these wise men are and what, you know, how you're supposed to 
to to to figure out how to, to defeat Dragon. And apparently the Game Boy one tries to fix all that, but in a way that people who are fans of Crystallis were not happy with because they did change too mm. much in that process. Uh, the game still plays basically the same, but a lot of the narrative uh, was completely changed to, to match, I guess, more of what mm. the, the documentation said. But, uh, you know, it's still probably worth checking out on, on Game Boy Color, but that's harder than playing it on the Switch Virtual Library, which basically everyone has access to for, what, 20 bucks a year? So <laughs> you could play it that way right now and, and give it a shot. Uh, both Joe and I very, very much liked it. And I think both Jeremy and Billy at least appreciated what it tried to do, but maybe it's just yes. not their thing. Yeah. So that's our thoughts on Crystallis for the NES, a game that I fondly uh, look back on, enjoyed it in 1990 and several times since. But Jeremy and Billy, not quite as much, although everyone, I think, agrees it does try to do a lot. Thank you again, Joe, for requesting that. And if you want to request a game from us, uh, we do have a Patreon. If you join, as as Joe did, as a Super Retrovaniac DX2 Turbo, I think that's what I've called it, uh, member, mm-hmm. then you get to force us to cover a game uh, of your choosing. And in this case, uh, you know, very glad that you picked this. This is on my list, so I'm glad that we got to cover it without me feeling like I forced everybody to play this one, uh, but it was it was fun, uh, and we have two other patron requests coming up very soon as well uh, of other people who've done the same. So if there's a game you absolutely want us to cover, that's the best way to do it. You can also just go to our regular Patreon membership, and there's a list there that we pull from as well to do games where it's just like, hey, this person recommended it. Don't do an interview. We don't do anything else, but we cover it. Uh, or you could always go to Retrovania.net. Now, at the very bottom, after all the links to our social media and everything else exciting, there's a question form. Now, we prefer you don't just put game recommendations there. Also put a question, maybe throw in a recommendation, and we'll consider it. Uh, But that's how we get questions we answer on the show, like we're going to do right now. We do. We actually have a few questions here, but I just want to mention real quick before we get into this, there seems to be something with the uh, going on with the question form that's making people, like, uh, resend their questions. I had a a couple of those Mm. this time that people had started or something, and, and either it timed out and... Uh, made them resend it or something. I don't know what's going on. Bear with us while they work this stuff out. Um, it should be fine by now. We've gotten more emails since, or more stuff from that since then, and it seems to be going fine. So if it if it's acting weird, uh, just just you know try to try to do what you can to repost it or just send it in again or whatever. Uh, but we're going to start off this week with uh, Kay. And uh, he's writing in about disappointed, disappointing messes that you walked away from. <laughs> hey, you crazy kids. What are some games that you started playing and rubbed you the wrong way so quickly that you dropped them and never went back? My most recent ones include Mirror's Edge Catalyst and Assassin's Creed Freedom's Cry. I was excited for the Mirror's Edge sequel as I really enjoyed the first, only to find that it had changed from a linear first-person action game to open world. It's like they combined it with Assassin's Creed and took the worst aspects of both. The most egregious offense was a time trial it made me go through where you had an extremely strict time limit to make it through a short section, and if you followed the path that it gave you, you couldn't possibly finish it. It was trial and error, the time it took to reload when you lost was maddening, and the same woman repeated the same spiel every single time. When I noticed this was going to happen throughout the entire game, I deleted it from my hard drive and never looked back. Freedom's Cry is DLC for Assassin's Creed 4, 
and that was another one that I stopped playing, and it was free on PS Plus at one point. I couldn't finish the opening mission without game-breaking glitches, I fell through the ground, targets would disappear, I'd die for no reason, etc. Even for free, I felt like I'd been cheated. Have Billy post his answer on Discord because I assume he's not on the show again. <laughs> Prove me wrong. For me, it's it's weird because I'll I'll if I bought a game, especially, uh, I will I will trudge through it angrily. I will finish it despite how boring it is. But there are definitely games where I have either bought them super cheap or I just decided after after hunting it down, it's just not what I wanted. But they're both games that I'm sure people are like, "What?" When I say this, so one. I've never gotten into and enjoyed any of Fallout 4. I don't know why I don't like it. I just don't. And I like Skyrim, so it's not like I don't like that style of gameplay. I just, something about Fallout 4 has never grabbed me. I've restarted it like 10 times, and I never get anywhere. Uh, and I liked I liked Fallout 3, so I, I don't know what it is about Fallout 4 that I don't care for. Um, I just, from the moment I started playing, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm just not... I don't want to play this. I wish I did, but I don't want to play it. And the other game, and I was very shocked at how much I don't like this game, and, and I may not be far enough. Uh, you know, when we start, when we covered Metal Gear Solid, I was like, you know, I don't remember playing the later games in these series very much. I bought 2 and 3, and I, I, I really didn't finish them because uh, I had them on Vita. I played through all of 2, loved it. Played through all of 3 and loved it. I bought a PS3 used just to play Metal Gear Solid 4, and I hate it. I do not hey, enjoy what I played on it. I don't like it. No. Oh, I don't wow. know what it is about it. And I'm gonna get I'm gonna finish it. I want to finish the game. But every time I start playing it after about half an hour, I'm like, I would rather do yard work. I hate this game. I do not want to play it. It feels like it's a very, very boring, like overly dramatic war story instead of what I want. I don't know. You may be the only person I've ever heard describe Metal Gear Solid 4 as boring. Oh, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, I, I don't know. You probably, like I said, you haven't probably got far enough into it yet, but I've heard it called everything from a train wreck to a complete garbage fire. But I, I, don't, I think that may be a first for calling, uh, for, for calling that game boring. It, it's, yeah. it's just the way it plays compared to the first three Metal Gear Solids. I was like, this is... I feel like it's more cinematic than game, and the parts that were a game, I felt like I might as well be playing Heavy Rain. If I want story like that, I'll play something like that. Instead, I just felt like I was, I was running around and people were shooting at stuff, and I'm trying not to die. And I'm like, I, this, but then I would just like listen to exposition for 30 minutes. I, I'm not a fan yet, but I will, I will beat that. That's one that I will eventually finish. I have a whole system sitting here with nothing on it but that and uh, and Demon Souls. So I will, <laughs> I will eventually have to play it. Well, I, I, you know. Speaking of the messes that I'd like to leave behind, probably Jeremy P. Oh. After shitting on Metal Gear Four, look, I, I, um, I don't, I can't explain. Give, I mean, I tried to explain why I don't like it, but I, at least I tried. Give it time, you know. Give it time. Give it time. Um, for me, you know, I, I think we should probably just get Borderlands Three out of the way. Um, but I, I think one of the biggest disappointments I had for for a. a franchise that i i loved would love to see again but but maybe not after this third one uh, that dead space three um did not work for me after the the first one was excellent uh the second i thought did an even better job and it was taking it in a, a, a pretty great direction um and then the third came around and it got a lot more i don't know it got a lot more actiony maybe but not in the good way um, 
I, I just, it, it completely let me down. And I think a lot of the problem was you ended up on a, it's kind of the opposite with the very beginning of the show. Um, how uh, Jeremy was a little relieved to be in those more open areas and out of those tight corridors. I thought that was what worked for Dead Space was it was kind of claustrophobic. Uh, you know, just whether you're on the, the kind of the deck of these ships and going down these tight hallways. Um, this one got a little bit more wide open and it, it didn't work for this particular series in my opinion and obviously it didn't work for a lot of people because that's that's all we've heard from that series since then i mean it's it's a, a full two generations behind before we've had anything else um that was a big one you can factor in most tony hawk games after underground 2 uh I, god i think most sonic games could probably fit in there um also uh, but yeah, I mean, I, that Dead Space 3 was one of those that I, uh, the most hype in the world to play. And I sat down and I, I was just really disappointed with, with what I got. And believe it or not, um, Mason and I uh, agree on something. You know, we, we're usually at odds about a lot of things, including breakfast choices um but no this time uh that mirror's edge sequel was definitely one that severely let me down um and i was very excited by the the notion uh that it supposedly was going to be a really kind of open world game you know with the whole free running and things like that it just it seemed like it just fit in great with having a big open world to run around well you didn't have a big world to run around you didn't really have an open world to run around and i just didn't care for the structure of the game and i was someone that still will go back and play that original uh many times over will listen to that soundtrack anytime um and that one definitely definitely let me down uh that one and and, and that dead space three are probably the two biggest biggest for me that i can i can recall i guess the ones that that I can remember offhand. There's probably a lot more to this because I'm kind of like Jeremy oh, yeah. where when I buy something, I generally just play it and trudge through it. I, I think mm -hmm. my rant about days gone, you know, that's, that was the last one that I did where I was just like, you know, if I'm not having fun with something, I'm just not going to play it anymore. I don't care yeah. what I paid for it. So uh, generally I, I do try to play through stuff, but uh, the ones that, that really just got to me that I bought and I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore was uh resident evil 6 i think oh, i was yeah. one of the very few people that genuinely loved resident evil 5 i played through it several times got all the weapons loved that game you know mm -hmm. no matter what you think of the, the whole action aspect of it whatever i thought it was a great game whether it's a good resident evil game i don't know but it's a good game i liked it a lot but so i was looking forward to resident evil 6 and it seemed like it was going to keep doing the whole resident evil 5 thing it did, but it didn't, it, it was just a mess. It was just a big mess of a game. And I only made it through like the first couple of levels uh, with like Leon and Chris before I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I just stopped playing. I, yeah. I, it was not fun. I was mm -hmm. not having any fun. The whole setting just was weird. It seemed far less Resident Evil than any Resident Evil before it. <clears throat> it was just being too over the top and, and I did not enjoy it at all. And the only one that's really, <clears throat> the only other one that's really coming to mind right now is Fable 3. 
as much as oh. I love Fable 1 and 2, mm. Fable 3 was just a big face plant. And or at least for me, uh, I played Fable 2 hours. You know, I basically 100% that game. I believe me and Billy uh, played together. It might not have been Billy. I, I can't remember, but like we even did the co-op stuff to get the co-op yes. uh, achievements yes. back in the day. We, we did. We hooked up for a couple of those. Yeah. So like I, I genuinely love that game, but Fable 3 was just such a weird departure from it. And it, it did not grab me at all. I tried my best. I think I made it like four or five hours in. I was just like, ah, just, I, it, it there's was, other it was stuff. Step, rather... It was a, it was a step back from two. It was. It, it just, it, they were trying to do more with the story and uh, just the whole progression of the game. I, I wasn't mm-hmm. into. So it was always one of those games. I was like, I'll just get back to this at some point. And I never did. I never loaded that game back up to this day. So maybe, maybe there's something more to that game that I just don't, I didn't get to, but for what it was, I it really just put a, a sour taste in my mouth for what Fable Fable was and how much I really enjoyed it. So maybe if they ever make that new uh, the new Fable for the new Series X, then we'll we'll see. I'll probably get back into that and see how it goes. Really shitty thing to end the series on as well as well oh, as yeah. Dead Space Three. I'll have you know that I love Resident Evil Five. You do, you know you're not alone Good. out there. All right, thank you. There's that that one other mm-hmm. person. <laughs> That really likes. <laughs> I really like the co-op in the game. I thought the yeah. co-op was it was awesome in Resident Evil Five. So, all right, Kay, thank you for writing in. And our next question comes in from Bobby Weekday, and uh, his, his, what's on his mind is I don't friggin' heck around. Okay. And what he's <laughs> uh, it's pretty short email here, guys. So, uh, what game did you like better, Dead Cells, Hollow Knight, or Ori in the Blind Forest? Which one hmm. did you find the hardest? There's a right answer. Also, Rob Zombie sucks. Okay, well, I mean, I don't disagree with that last statement. I've not played Ori in the Blind Forest, so I cannot say that was the one I liked the best or least or the hardest. Uh, between Hollow Knight and Dead Cells, uh, I think Dead Cells is way harder than Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight is a much more standard Metroidvania-style thing. So, yes, there are hard parts to it, but as you play through it, you know, if you're going the right way, you'll make some progress. Where Dead Cells, you know, it's that it's that uh, rogue-like, pure action game. Yes, you get to increase your weapons, and there's things you can do to make your character better. But overall, it's every run is going to be tough, and and I really like that, and it's cool. But uh, it makes it the hardest. Where I think Hollow Knight on its own, like if I was going to give somebody a game to play, I'd I'd much more likely give somebody Hollow Knight than uh, than Dead Cells. But I do like what Dead Cells does. Uh, for me, uh, and I, I have played through um, the three of these, and I, my answer is, is, to both those questions is Hollow Knight. I, I think Hollow Knight is uh, the better. I just I love the the atmosphere of it. I love the, the everything about it. Um, and God damn it, if it's not one of the most difficult to, if you want to get down to it and and do everything, I think it's when I hit. Oh, was it the damn? Was it the Coliseum area of that game? If I'm not mistaken, um, and that's when shit got real for me. That's when it, it wasn't fun and games anymore, and I wasn't just dying once or twice, kind of learning what I needed to do or power, you know, or advancing a little bit and then coming back and breezing through it. I, I think that's where things came to a crawl. Uh, there are certainly some enemies on there. Um, 
where I, I, I don't think it's a matter of powering up or, you know, finding the right little, you know, charms or whatnot. I, I just think that there are some on there. I still, after hours and hours in that game, feel like I just kind of lucked through. Um, so definitely for me, I, I think Hollow Knight would be um, the answer to both of those. All three uh, excellent games. Though. I haven't played Dead Cells, but I, I think the only correct answer for both of those is Ori, because those those games are not only do they look fantastic and play fantastic, but they are incredibly hard once you start getting all the abilities and things and what those what those levels how they test you and how you need to be so exact with what you're doing. I think Hollow Knight is more like exact with the the battle mechanics and how you fight things. I you know there's definitely a lot of platforming there, but Ori is like next level with how you need to get through those stages and how you need to combine all of those abilities. Like it's just oh. crazy what that game makes you do to get past some of those areas to the point where like even after I had done them, I was just like how did I even do that? Mm-hmm. So it's it's very fluid, it's fun to get around, you know, it's just one of those games that's just moving throughout the levels feels fun. You know, there's always something for you to grab onto, jump onto, and it, it just always looks spectacular in how you do it. So I, I guess though that would be for me. I know I'm the odd one out and, and so much that I don't really like Hollow Knight that much. I, I was never a big fan of how it did, like the exploration and the mapping and things like that. Uh, I, believe it or not, I, I wasn't ever a big fan of the art style, even though it should be right up my alley. I think it's very good. It just never, uh, it never tapped my brain like Ori did. So I, I guess for me anyway, I don't know if it's the correct answer, but the correct answer for me is, is Ori for both of those. Uh, also, Rob Zombie does not suck. He wrote a little song called Dragula. I don't know if you yeah. heard it, but it's pretty all right. You know, he said there's only one right answer. We all gave a different answer. So I, I'd like to see yeah. a follow-up so, uh, on what the right answer would be. We got our covered. We, we got it covered. Yeah, I think, you know, one of us got this right. So, uh, you know, let us know <laughs> what the right answer was, I guess. Uh, yeah, but thanks anyway, uh, Bobby, for writing in. And our final question comes in from Kyle. And he wants to talk about games within games. And I bet you anything Billy is going to steal my answer for this one. Oh, boy. How are you, gentlemen? Don't get too excited. This isn't yet another write-in where a listener tells you about what wet dreams they had with video game characters. No, you'd have to pay extra for those. Instead, I'm writing you today to ask about some of your favorite and maybe least favorite games within games. <laughs> Last, epi- Last episode, the two Jeremys briefly discussed the Golden Saucer from Final Fantasy VII, Ooh. which was an assortment of time-wasting minigames tucked within a 40-hour JRPG. Jeremy P. mentioned that he didn't really dig the offerings at the Golden Saucer. <laughs> so I'm wondering, what are some of your favorite games that you can play within a game? Blitzball, Pazak, Car Bomb. Inquiring and judging by some of your other write-ins from listeners, Horny Minds want to know. Respectfully, play the out, Foxies, you fucking cowards. Kyle Von Kubik. P.S. The minigame Car Bomb, as listed above, is not about the Irish Revolution, but is instead a battleship board game clone tucked within Sam and Max Hit the Road, which I played more than the actual game. P.S.S. Fuck Pazak. Well, you know, um... Yeah, I, I always love in a game where you have the opportunity to play a mini game. But I, I think the best opportunity was on Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, 
You son and, of a bitch. <laughs> and that game would be Hero Klungo Saves the World. That goddamn Klungo. Um, he comes to you with a... It's not even a good game, uh, but it's, it has some intangible quality about it and, and difficulty to it um, that, that Jeremy Gregory and I spent a good bit of time, well, one, driving ourselves insane completing nuts and bolts, uh, but two, driving ourselves equally insane trying to get through Klungo, trying to get that damn achievement to pop up. Um, yeah, I, that, that that is the one for me. Anytime there's any talk of a mini game, um, you know, within a game, I my mind always, always drifts back to that. Uh, well, yeah, Klungo was my answer. Um, that was the one that really just... Sorry, I mean, Klungo is probably everybody's answer. I, it has to be. It's just such a simple, stupid game, uh, especially the one that came with the DLC. Uh, it yes. added a little bit more. Uh, and and that was... God damn, those stupid little games. You had you got an achievement for beating them. And this yeah. was back in the day when, when like everyone was achievement hunting. And I was yeah. like, I have to get these achievements for, for beating these stupid arcade games. And it was... I, I think I did probably spend a good chunk of time playing those two games i i think i played the uh the dlc clungo more than i actually did the dlc so <laughs> it's that was just perfect i i, I genuinely love clungo it was just the perfect thing to have in that game about the only other thing that i can really think of that i put a significant amount of time in uh was the um golf in gta 5 oh, I, yeah. I thought that was i thought that was actually a better golf game than most actual golf games that's a competent golf game. It is. And it, it does the thing where like no other golf game does is where you can actually, you know, get in the cart and drive to your ball or, or just mm. walk to your ball. It's something that's sorely lacking from real golf games, which is a weird thing to say. But yeah, I played the hell out of that. That one course <laughs> that was that was in that game. I, I thought it was great. I Whatever else, I'm sure there's stuff that I'm just not thinking of. But well, we know about you and uh, Gwent. That, that's uh, well, well Gwent, yes, Gwent, totally. I, I it, go pa go back and listen to whatever podcast, the seven or eight podcasts straight in a row, where I was just like talking about Gwent constantly. But uh, yeah, that was that one got me really good. That was uh, God. I can't believe I forgot that one. I think my brain's just like, no, you have to forget that time of your life whenever you didn't. <laughs> But yes, this was a, a that was a genuinely great card game that obviously got its own game itself. So um, got really lost in collecting all those cards and and really just about any game where you can you've got like weird little offs offsides. Speaking of the mm -hmm. golden saucer in Final Fantasy fourteen, you can play mahjong in that now. Oh. And I am just I the thing that is like that I do now before I go to bed is I will log into Final Fantasy fourteen go to the golden saucer and just play Mahjong or, or, you know, triple triad or something like that. You know, it's, it's just one of those things. It's, it's not part of the main game, but it's these little things that kind of relax me off to the side. And I usually just end up playing way too many of those. 
Yeah, I'd have to say, I was going to say Gwent. Uh, Triple Try, I just mentioned, was another similar game. If there's a collectible card game in your game, I'm in. Even if it's not a game where you just where you just have to collect cards, like in Deadly Premonition, you can collect cards for no reason from people. Mm. It's a guarantee I'm going to do that, and that's my favorite thing to do. Uh, if it's not a game, though, like then I, I don't think it answers the question. Triple Try or Gwent are great answers. Uh, I was trying to think of something else that would be, uh, like... You know, you mentioned Klungo, and like when you play in in Bully, there's like the games you can play at the arcade games there, but they aren't very good. Oh yeah, I mean they're fine, but they aren't. It's just like okay, that's a fun waste of time for once, and and I'm good. But a game where like where you can play an actual game, but it's hidden inside, not even hidden inside the game, but like you know, like in Shenmue, there are those Sega arcade yeah, games Shenmue. you can play, um, play Outrun, and there, there's some other games you can play there, Afterburner. Um, in in like those old, the first generation uh, PlayStation. Namco games when it was loading up like Tekken, I guess you could play Galaga, like that stuff like that. I thought was awesome. Yeah, I love little things like that. But I in that in that realm, if you're gonna go that way, hands down, the ones that were the most impressive and the ones I was the most blown away with was all those original NES games hidden in the original GameCube version of Animal Crossing, where if you got lucky oh enough, God, where people yes. gave you the little NES that played Clue Clue Land, a game you never oh, would play yeah. otherwise. I played a shit ton of Clue Clue Land because I could play an Animal Crossing. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. love those were there. I thought that was amazing. And the fact that they had all the, like, it was almost impossible to get those things unless you knew how to farm them from different people. Like, what a neat concept that they didn't follow mm-hmm. in any, you know, any uh, Animal Crossing after that. Uh, but, but yeah, if I, if I took a standalone game that was in a game that I, that, that I could, I played probably more than the game itself. It's hard to not say Triple Triad because compared to the rest of the game, uh, Final Fantasy VIII, Triple Triad is, is worlds over it. But Gwent, once I hit Gwent the first time, I was like, well, it's over. My game is done. I'm never going to beat The Witcher 3. And I haven't. But I did play that standalone Gwent game for like hundreds of hours. That game ruled. I don't know if, it, if anybody remembers one of the cooler things you could do with those Animal Crossing GameCube games was that you could, uh, if you had the link cable with the Game Boy Advance, you could store those NES games on your Game Boy Advance flash memory or mm. whatever was there so that you could just, you could keep one of those on there at all times. And so I, I have really fond memories of being way too young. And uh, I worked at Big Lots at the time and putting Donkey Kong on my Game Boy Advance, the little flip up screen. And every time I would go to the bathroom and then take a shit at Big Lots, I would just sit there and play <laughs> Donkey Kong on my Game Boy Advance for like a good, a solid 10 minutes. And that's like one of my favorite memories of working there. So uh, if you didn't know you could do that, there you go. There's your pro tip of the day. If you've got a GameCube and you got a lot of those NES games and a Game Boy Advance and and a link cable, you can uh, totally throw <laughs> one of those. Choose you just choose well. You can only use one and put that mm-hmm. on your, your Game Boy. Yeah, and then uh, hit, the, hit the local big lots. Yeah. I will be in the shitter, taking a shit, playing Donkey Kong. So you have to find somewhere else to play your NES game. Anyway, thanks for everyone writing in. That's going to do it for the questions this week. Again, if you want to write in, just go to retrovania.net, scroll all the way down to the bottom. There is a question form slash contact form that's halfway working right now. But do your best to write in what you want. You may have to submit it twice, but we'll get it eventually, and we'll piece it together and, and read it on here. So... Again, thanks for everyone writing it in. That's going to do it for me for this time. 
And that's going to do it for our episode. Again, thank you, Joe. If you would like to request a game from us, the best way to do that is at our Patreon, which is always in the comments for the episode, but also linked on all of our social media pages or directly on Retrovania.net. And we will be back in two weeks with another patron request and a bonus show in the middle where I defend a game that many people do not enjoy. And we will see you then. 